Hi everyone, and thanks for tuning in for the fourth and final message in our Advent series. I'm Colin, and as we wrap up our exploration of Isaiah 9-6, we focus on Jesus as Prince of Peace. We all yearn for peace, but with history as our guide, we see that peace is often hard to come by. We have drafted treaties, created whole organizations, and put in place military forces, all in an attempt to establish and maintain peace. It goes without saying that much of our attempts haven't worked. But we have the assurance that one day there will be universal peace. As Pastor Brian Brosen tells us, there is coming a day of shalom, an eternity of how things were always meant to be. This passage, it's, it's got to be a favorite for everyone. I mean, you, know, you just look at the promises that are given here. They are uh, amazing, and especially when we think of these promises in contrast to what we see in the world. And not just what we see in the world this moment in the year 2022, but what we've always seen in the world. We've always seen sorrow and heartbreak and suffering and misery and pain and death. We've always seen it. That's the history of the human race. Why is it that way? Well, it's that way because mankind has rebelled against our maker. But despite all of that, God has made a promise, and he is going to keep that promise. It's a promise for all the world. And we just, we, we just, we as the people of God, of, of all people, we need to, to have our eyes fixed on this person. Our hope is not in politics in any way, shape, or form. It's not in the laws of progress, the advance of, of civilization, or anything like that. I mean, we've been through all of those things all throughout the history of the world, and here we are once again mired down in the pit of sin and despair. Our hope is in a person. And, and it's in that person that all the principles that make for righteousness and blessedness of individuals, communities, and nations are incarnated. Incarnated. We're talking about the incarnation. Some of you know what that word means. Some of you don't. It means to be made flesh. That's what the incarnation is. It's, the, it's that, that thing that we are looking back on. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what happens when you don't wear a coat for two years and pull out of your closet and it's caked with dust. <laughs> That's what I did this morning. <laughs> so... But, it, but it's an incarnation. That's what, that's what we're talking about. God becoming flesh. And so here in Isaiah's prophecy, we have this promise. Now, the promise is first to, to Israel. It's to the nation. It's specifically to Judah. But it goes beyond that. It's a promise to all nations. 
And it goes even deeper than that. It's a promise to all individual people who will believe. You know, this is, this is the thing about Christmas. We're, we, you know, we were just in England. We, Cheryl and I, we had just an absolutely amazing time. Um, I'll tell you, the, the English know how to decorate for Christmas. And, uh, you know, Oxford was beautiful. Bristol was beautiful. London was spectacular. And, and you see all of this um, beauty and all of this decor, and yet... The, the sad thing is, it's just, it's just a holiday. It's at best a time for family and friends and giving. Um, it's at worst just a time where you go into debt and you, you experience sadness and these things. And my point is that so many people just completely miss. They, they really have no idea what the day is about. Even though it's called Christmas, Christmas means Christ Mass, or, or it's Christ Day is what it is. So, but the promise is given to all of us. And, and it's this promise that a child is gonna be born, a son is gonna be given, and the dominion of the world is going to be placed upon his shoulders. And then he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. All of those things are descriptive of what he will do and what he will bring to the world. Imagine, just imagine a world free of injustice. Just Think about that for a moment. A, free, a, a world free of injustice, no oppression, no exploitation, no intimidation, no extortion, um, nothing inequitable. Imagine a world like that. When I travel, um, this is when I usually catch up on all the movies I never watch normally because I don't have the time to watch them. And, um, you know, I, I, I watched on the way over, I watched, um, I, I'd never seen Schindler's List. And shame on me for never seeing that. But, um, well, you don't have to agree totally, Rick. I mean, come on. <laughs> but no, really. And, and I would always think to myself, I want to watch this, but it's like three hours long. And then I was like, oh, I don't have three hours. So when you're sitting on a nine-hour flight, you've got three hours. Anyway, I watched it. And I'm very in tune with the events of the Second World War and the Holocaust and all of that. But you know, seeing it once again, right before your eyes, that the, just the horrific treatment that the Jews endured in Europe during that time, uh, the, the inequities and the injustices and all of that, you're just like, oh my gosh. And, and on the way home, I watched the, the film um, that was made back in 2013 on Nelson Mandela, um, the film was called The Long Walk to Freedom, which is the title of his autobiography. And again, seeing apartheid and all of that. And, and this, this is just goes on and on and on. This is the world. This is the way the world has always been. Occasionally, pockets of people have uh, a different experience to some degree. But even those pockets of people that are maybe having a different experience 
just down the road, somebody's having a real deep experience of injustice and those things. But the point is simply that all of that will be no more. Imagine a world free of strife, no wars, no Russia's invading Ukraine's. None of those kinds of things that, again, have been the history of the world. None of those things. No hostilities of any sort. No threats. No harsh words. Anywhere, anytime, under any circumstances. Think about that. Imagine that. That's what's coming. That is what is coming to the world, and it's coming through the child that was born, the son that was given, whose names are given to us here. Now, we've spent the last four weeks looking at each of these wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father or father of the ages, and prince of peace. Um, one author said this, why, why these compound names? And one writer said, they are compound names because the unique dignity of this deliverer cannot be covered by single names. And four of them because no one name can comprehend the multitude of blessings that he brings or the manifold works that he successfully achieves. And so those great, great names really quickly. Wonderful counselor. The emphasis primarily here is that he will be most effective. Wonderful counselor, we, we can take that and apply it personally, but in the, the context here, it, the idea is that he will be the one who formulates a plan of action that will result in universal peace and prosperity. It just the wisest ruler that there could possibly be. That's what wonderful counselor is referring to. Mighty God. It, the the it, the significance is that uh, this task of universal rule will need absolute power, and He is the mighty God. He lacks nothing. He has all the power to bring to pass what uh, needs to happen according to his wisdom. Everlasting Father. And Char talked about this last Sunday. Uh, father of eternity. Father of the coming age. And Char brought this out, but let me remind you, the title refers to the loving, fraternal, paternal concern he has for those who have been committed to his charge. This, in this name, it is a revelation of the heart with which he will govern the world. He will govern the world with compassion, mercy, and tenderness as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows their frame. He remembers they are dust. That's what we're told about God in Psalm 103. That's what's being expressed here. That's the kind of ruler he's going to be a tender-hearted, compassionate ruler. And then the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. 
Peace founded upon righteousness will be the dominant feature of his reign. Micah the prophet says it like this, and Isaiah says the exact same thing, but I'm going to quote from Micah. Um, Micah said this, during, the, during that time they will be, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Think of a world like that. Think of a world like that. So he is called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Now, I think, and, and this is obviously part of it, but I think when we think of the Prince of Peace, we often just think of cessation of hostilities. But that is not nearly all that is implied here. Now, the word peace, the Hebrew word peace is shalom. How many of you knew that already? Okay. The Hebrew word is shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom, it's one of those words that's really, really rich. It's so rich that there isn't like an English word that does it justice. So, yes, it means peace. It's translated peace. But it means more than peace. And sometimes that is not what comes out when we think of it. Now, Notice what the promise is. It's that of the greatness, his name shall be called Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his dominion and shalom, there will be no end. So the promise here is, is of this, this shalom. What, it, what does that look like? Again, not simply the cessation of hostilities, although that's obviously part of it. Um, Cornelius Plantinga, a theologian, he, he wrote a book on, on the topic of sin, and he referred to sin as the disruption of shalom. That's what sin is. It's the disruption of shalom. shalom. So, so in, in this book, he, he gives this definition of shalom. Uh, shalom. <coughs> And let me read it to you. He says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a cease fire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means, listen, universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at its creator and savior, opens doors and welcomes the creatures, as, as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. I love that. The way things ought to be. I mean, isn't it true that we just, almost daily, we experience things that aren't the way they should be? Just even think of just a, an argument. Just how an argument can so easily 
unsettle you. It just can so easily disrupt your, your, your state of um, mind in, in the sense that, you know, everything's good and you're feeling fine and, and all of a sudden something flares up and then it's just like, oh, it just ruins the moment. Sometimes it ruins the whole day. Sometimes it ruins um, even, even further out. It's a disruption of the way things ought to be. So the way things ought to be, so what is being promised here is the way things will be when the Prince of Peace rules upon his throne on earth. And that's the promise. Notice that he's going to sit upon the throne of his father David. So we're talking about a, a reign of Jesus here on the earth. But also, it's the way things should be for those under the reign of the Prince of Peace who presently rules from heaven. So here's the beauty. It's, it's twofold. The, the reality is this is ultimately where the world is headed. This is, as people uh, predict where things are going to go, um, and, you know, everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got an idea about where the world is headed, where nations are headed, and so forth. The Bible tells us where it is all going. It is all going under the uh, visible, tangible, present rule of the Prince of Peace. That's, that's where it's headed. But what we have to remember is that that reign is already here for those who have received the Prince of Peace. So as I think about the future, I don't have to be filled with anxiety about where history is headed because I know where it's headed. But I don't have to wait until then I can enjoy shalom presently. That's the beautiful thing. See, Jesus brings peace to people. God is in the process of saving the world. And at this point in time, he's doing it one person at a time. And so you see, Christmas is a very personal thing. This prophecy is universal. It's applicable to Israel. It's applicable to nations. But it is applicable to us to people, individual people. And so the present fulfillment among individual believers, wonderful counselor, let's just think about these really quickly, wonderful counselor. The individual or, or the personal aspect of this is just to remind us that God has, just like the Lord will, will have the, the ultimate plan of government for the universe that it might experience shalom, God has that plan for your life as well. 
He is the all-wise God who desires to give you wisdom and understanding to navigate the difficulties, the challenges, the perplexities of life. And he's with us and he gives us all we need to make it through. And not just make it through, but to flourish as we go through. Flourish, meaning not that we're going to be rich and famous, but flourish in the sense of our spirits. Then he's the mighty God. He has all the power necessary to accomplish all that he's planned for you to be and do. God has all the power. Whatever he's called you to be, whatever he's planned, whatever... uh, he has created you for, he has the power to bring that to pass. And as the father of the ages, he has all the tenderness, love, patience toward us as his children as he works out his plan in our lives. And as the prince of peace, he gives us his peace. He takes away our anxieties if we will cast our cares upon him he alleviates our fears he calms us and he gives us his peace he causes us to flourish see this is this is the thing the church collectively and you and me individually as as people who have received the savior our lives are to be a little picture of what is coming in the future. Our lives are to be a picture of that. So people can look and say, look at that life. That, you know, and, and listen, never underestimate the power of your witness. I hear over and over again in, in the context of, of so much cynicism and you know, we, we just live in a, in a time now where, where people are very vocal about their hatred toward others and people are very aggressive when it comes to e- even the faith itself. But even in the midst of that, I hear story after story of people who come to faith because they saw an individual Christian and they thought, there's something to that person's life. There's something different. And there, there was something that drew them in. And that's what we're talking about. He causes us to flourish. He surrounds us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He places us in community where things are more and more as they ought to be. So you know the church is to be a place where things are the way they ought to be. We should be progressing as the people of God in shalom. We should be just a a city of shalom, in a sense, a city of peace. The way things ought to be, once again, let me quote from Plantinga. He says, the way things ought to be, or shalom in its Christian understanding, includes the constitution and internal relations of a very large number of entities. The Holy Trinity, the physical world in all its fullness, the human race, 
particular communities within the race, families, married couples, groups of friends, individual human beings, in a shalomic state, each entity would have its own integrity or structured wholeness, and each would also possess many edifying relations to other entities. The way things ought to be, or shalom, would also include an individual person a whole range of intelligent responses to other creatures and the spread of appropriate thoughts, desires, emotions, words, deeds, and dispositions. He's, he's just describing this shalomic state where everybody's just wonderfully living together and enjoying one another and blessed by each other, and not envious, and not um, covetous, and not disruptive, and not trying to outdo the person next to us, or swindle them in some way, or you know, all of those things that disrupt the shalom. He's describing this sh shalomic state. So if we are the people who have embraced the Prince of Peace, that means that we are going to be experiencing the peace, the shalom that he gives. And that's what we don't want to miss about Christmas. It's about God's promise to Israel. It's about God's promise to the nations but it's about God's promise to individual people that they might know the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the prince of Shalom, and that is relevant in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, eventually among the nations, and ultimately throughout the cosmos, the greatness of his dominion and shalom will have no end. So that's coming. We don't know exactly when it's coming. We hope it comes sooner rather than later. But even if it's not coming in the time frame that we hope it's coming in, Let's not forget it's already come for you personally, and it's already come for us as the people of God collectively. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's come through the son that was given. Now, the son that was given, and I want to close with these thoughts. The son that was given, we know... He was given in what we are remembering at Christmas, the incarnation. He was given to humanity by God. He becomes one of us. But he was given in the incarnation so that he could provide atonement that would 
take care of the sin that had separated us from God and reconcile us to God. And so the incarnation, the the writer of Hebrews tells us the reason for the incarnation. He says, since the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That's the incarnation. Here we go. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death live their lives subject to bondage. Why did God become a man? So that he would, could die. And in dying, liberate us from the bondage that Satan had held us in. And so the son that was given was given by God to the end that he would bring all things back to the father and bring in everlasting peace, everlasting shalom, everlasting flourishing an everlasting experience of the way things ought to be. Charles Wesley, the great hymnist, you know, he wrote the song that we sing all the time, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. And Charles Wesley, being the the theological-minded person that he was, He captured in that hymn all of the things that are being talked about here as we're considering this whole idea of the Prince of Peace. But let me just let me just read a few a few of the verses. And and we're going to we're going to close with this. But he I'm going to skip the first um, verses, but then he goes on in the second. He says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, the incarnation, offspring of the virgin's womb. Now listen. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Joyful all, you nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. 
with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. That, he, Wesley, he just captures everything that is happening from the universal, the nations, right down to having the image of God re-stamped upon us through the work that Jesus did. And so that's all included in the child that was born, the son that was given. And as I said, the incarnation made possible the crucifixion. The crucifixion where our sins were paid for, which of course was then followed by the resurrection. And we'll talk about that in April. <laughs> we won't wait till then. But, uh, but as, we, as we finish up this morning, the bread and the cup are before us. And this is again, you know, you might say, well, wait. I mean, this is like about the death of Jesus. Yes, because as we've seen, the incarnation was for this very reason. And it's through what he accomplished through his death and resurrection by first becoming a human being that we've been reconciled to God. And now we have peace with God. Shalom. So as we share together today in the bread and the cup, just, just think about the, the beauty of what it means that Jesus is the Prince of Shalom, that he's the Prince of Peace. And, and let that peace come to you today and let it abide with you as you go and as we go into the week. You know, this week can sometimes be so stressful. And when it gets that way, which it probably will, just pause and just say, Lord, I, I, this, this is not the way it ought to be. I, I just need that shalom. And it's here with the bread and the cup that we're just reminded of all of that. And, it, and it's here with the bread and the cup that we meet with the Lord in the sense that we just have the opportunity to, to focus in on him. And, you know, if you're here, if there's anybody that's with us who doesn't know what we're talking about, you, you know about Christmas, you've celebrated it your whole life, but you've never really had that experience personally with the Lord that has brought you the peace of God. You sense that there's peace now, there's no hostility between you and God and there, there's peace in your life that's all through the relationship with Jesus that comes to us through his death that's represented by this bread and cup so most of us are already familiar with that we're going to take this moment and we're going to share in the bread and the cup and worship together as we close but for any of you that maybe have not yet received what Christmas is all about receiving the child that was born, the son that was given. Open your heart to him today. Just ask him to come and to forgive your sins and to do what he intended to do for you when he came into the world. 
and then partake of the bread and the cup in, in celebration of that reality. God bless.